0: All right, I see how it is today. I got you. Everybody's filled with cheese and pepperoni and <clears throat> recovering from Christmas. I hope you had a wonderful week, everyone. Looking forward to New Year's. Um, what a great opportunity to sing those words together. Amen? This morning, amazing love. How can it be that our God would die for, for us To worship and sing those songs together. Free this morning to worship together. To remind ourselves of the word of God. To readjust our hearts and our minds. What a great opportunity. We're going to continue to do that through God's word this morning. In Matthew, we've been walking through the book of Matthew. And this morning we're continuing on in Matthew chapter 5. So if you turn there with me, we're going to read it together. This is the Beatitudes. And we are... uh, going to focus in on verses 13 through 16 this morning. I'm going to read the whole thing. Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt. Of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's the word of the Lord, amen. You are the salt of the earth. You, you are the light of the world. What an incredible metaphor Jesus now in this transition in the Sermon on the Mount makes in regards to his disciples. It's a a subtle transition. We've spent the last several weeks working through the Sermon on the Mount. and, And really Jesus here, he goes from benediction to responsibility does he not he goes from pronouncing blessing in regards to characteristics that are ever increasing in the life of his disciples that that should be characteristics that are present in the life of those who follow him and and he teaches really the doctrine of who we are to be and now he's transitioning subtly into responsibility now here's what you are to do amen it's it's interesting And the metaphor he uses is really powerful. He has just gotten done expressing benediction and blessing for those who are poor in spirit, who recognize their their bankrupt spirit in regards to their need for Christ, their need for, for, for God to move in their lives. He's... He's talking about those who are mournful, that are mourning over their sin, that are sorrowful for, for their sin and, and, and that are, have experienced difficulty and tragedy. Those who are meek, who are, uh, those who are strong but under control and live, in a, live a life of meekness and are growing in that in response to the gospel. Those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, pursuing righteousness above the pursuit of temporal happiness. Pursuing the righteousness of God, those that are merciful and expressing mercy to others, those who are pure in heart, and those who are living in such a way that, that for the sake of Jesus and his righteousness are being persecuted and lied about. Those people, guess what? You're salt and you're light. That's who you are. As you are exhibiting the characteristics of, of disciples that I'm teaching you about that should be growing in your life. What, what Jesus is saying to them is you are to go out and be salt. You're to go. It's an interesting metaphor. It's, it's a powerful metaphor. You recognize that, that, that he's expressing that the salt is to... Is to actually go out into the earth and have an effect. There was a book a long time ago written out of the salt shaker. And I think sometimes our our tendency is to stay in the salt shaker, is it not? And what Jesus is expressing is you are the salt of the earth, and and I want you to go out and, and have an impact. That's really what he's expressing here. You people who exhibit these characteristics, you disciples, are to go living out these characteristics in the world, and you're going to be like salt, and you're going to be like light. What a powerful, powerful metaphor. What what does he mean by salt? What what do we get from salt? Salt really has several characteristics that I think Jesus um, is, is alluding to here. And it really is revealed also in the way that he describes light that's not hidden. But but salt is is something that in the ancient world would have been a, a preservative, right? They didn't have a lot of refrigeration. Uh meat would get pretty nasty pretty quick. Anybody ever have some meat that you forgot <clears throat> to put in the refrigerator? I had a I have a, a flatbed freezer that I have in my garage. And uh it fell out of the outlet, out of the plug, the extension cord. There's really an immediate realization, right? When you walk into that room and you're like, what's that smell? <clears throat> Uh-oh. <laughs> the freezer's unplugged. And there's some sort of liquid draining from the bottom, right? Like it gets nasty quick. So what did they do? They would, they would, pack, they would pack salt on the meat as a preservative to make it last longer. Salt also what? Provides taste. There's a zest, a tang, a, a taste that salt. Uh, I learned this really after I got married because we didn't use a lot of salt in my house. I don't, I don't know why. My mother just never really put out salt. It wasn't, it wasn't a thing. And, and so when I started uh, dating my wife, I was like, what are you pouring all over your food all the time? And, <clears throat> and so I was like, I'm going to try this it's better. It really is. Like, as you can see, my sodium intake should be a concern. I, but when you put salt on stuff, it, it brings out the best in the flavor, right? It brings out the best in the meat. When you salt it it, it, it enhances. It creates a zest. It creates a tang, and it brings out the best in the meat. And Jesus, looking at his disciples, he says, you are the salt of the earth. I think it's important to realize that the people of Christ throughout history have been the salt of the earth. Can I say that? Listen, this is not a popular thing to say today. If you go to college today and take liberal arts or humanities or go to universities, you are not going to hear... Really, a historical record of the Christian church that articulates a group of people who have been salt. But the historical record is clear. That the church, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, throughout history has been salt and light. It really has. It is remarkable to to pour over and look at, there's actually a lot of scholarly work being done about this now. There's a guy in Cornell um, named Tierney. Who's written a lot of books in relationship to this, uh, describing um, the the thrust of human rights uh, being something that has been birthed from the pages of scripture in the life of the Christian church, and 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 folks, I think it's important to take a look back as we as we consider this passage and realize that throughout history, people in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ have gone out gone out into the world and had the effect of of bringing out the best in culture in one sense and bringing out the flavor and the best of what a culture has to offer and in another sense the church has gone out in response to the gospel and has preserved the decaying of culture throughout history The gospel of Jesus Christ at work in the lives of Jesus' disciple, exhibiting the characteristics laid out in the Beatitudes, has had the effect in the world that it's brought out the best and it's it's also preserved the decaying of culture. That the church has been salt and has been light as they proclaim the gospel with their lives. Amen? That's a true statement. There's so much to talk about in relationship to that. The university movement throughout history, our educational systems were brought about through Christians. John Harvard was a pastor. You wouldn't know it today if you went to Harvard. (laughs) But the the university system, the intellectual movement throughout the history of our our society has been brought about by Christians who have been pursuing the the hospital movement, taking care of the sick, hospitals, hospitals, were created in our cities, in our communities. Uh, caring for those in need medically has been brought about through Christian persuasion, through Christian movement. The abolitionist movement in slavery uh, has, ha- was, was seeded and brought about through Christians. The first person to ever speak out, really written, uh, that's, that's noted in relationship to, to ending slavery was Gregory the Bishop of Nyssa, who, who preached a very famous message. In 370, when in the ancient world, slavery was normal. In the ancient world, slavery was, was, was something most communities had, most, uh, most societies lived with. Gregory, the bishop of Nyssa in the 370s, he said this, and I'm going to reference uh, money with these phrases. How many obols for the image of God? How many staters did you get for selling the God-formed human being? For Jesus Christ, who knows the worth of human nature, has said, an entire cosmos is not worthy to be exchanged for a human soul. Who can buy a man or sell a man once you realize he's in the image of God? The idea that men and women are formed in the image of God Didn't didn't come through the enlightenment. It came through the scriptures. People responding to the gospel and learning from the Word of God who we are in relationship to Him. Even the whole idea of suffrage came through men and women are created in the image of God. Civil rights, the image of God. much of which has made up Western civilization, has been brought about through understanding that came from in response to the gospel and the realities of who God says he is in relationship to us. Tim Keller mentions in a speech before British Parliament, even the first sexual revolution came through the pagan culture engaging the Christian culture. That in Roman, uh, Anglo, the Anglo-Saxons it, it, meeting the monks and that, that in the prior worldview and culture before it collided with Christianity, there was a motivation in and in an ethic that came from, came from shame and honor. It was a shame and honor culture. That a male could have uh, sex with any female of lower station And that female was certainly not allowed to refuse him. It wasn't until they engaged the monks through the gospel and Christianity that that the idea of of sexual contact needed to be mutually consensual in a covenant relationship. Yeah, we hear all the time the moments in our history that we need to own where the sinfulness of man, the desire for power, and the desire for pride that, that can hijack any system of thought, at moments uh, that, that type of sinful behavior was done in the name of the church. We certainly see that throughout our history. But at every moment where there was a rising up to protect, to love another for the sake of the other, an others-centered ethic, that wasn't about me being strong, me being full of honor, but it was I'm going to care for another regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of station. I'm gonna love another for another's sake throughout the history of the world. It came from here. From here. And salt throughout our history transform the world. It's remarkable to look back and see the reality of Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 throughout the history of the church. You read, can't certainly ascribe to all of MLK Jr.'s theology, but you read the letters from Birmingham Jail And his encouragement to society in regards to civil rights, why he sat in a jail cell. His encouragement wasn't to tell people to be less Christian. Be more secular and then we'll solve the race issue. That's not what he said. His encouragement was to be real Christians. And that would solve this issue of why he was sitting in jail. We have a history of being salt and light. Rich history. We're losing that in our context today. And it's something we need to really look at this passage together as a church and think about. What is Jesus saying? Christians, when they're real Christians, Christians, when they're really following Christ, Christians, when they're hunger, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, when they're peacemakers, when they're merciful, when they're humble and mournful and poor in spirit and reflecting the character of God because they've come to an understanding of the gospel that gives them a clear picture of who they really are in relationship to God and what that means for them in relationship to others. When Christians are growing in these characteristics, what do they do? They go out into the world and they bring out the best. They preserve. They bring out the best flavor and culture. They are the, they are, you are the salt of the earth. When it loses, the salt loses its saltiness, Jesus says. It's useless. He asks a, a, a question that's, that's rhetorical. How could it regain its saltiness? And, and what he's saying in that rhetorical question is it can't. Once a salt, salt loses its flavor, it can't regain its saltiness. Does salt ever lose its flavor? No, not really. But, but in the ancient day, many times in his time, salt would be mixed with the minerals from, from the river or from the lake, and, and when you got that salt that was heavily mixed with everything from outside of it, it, it wasn't salty anymore. And he said, how does it regain its flavor? It's rhetorical. It doesn't. It's good for nothing. It might as well be thrown out and trampled underfoot. What a remarkable statement. Calvin addresses this passage in his commentary this way. He says, what belongs to doctrine is applied to the person to whom the administration of it has been committed. You're, what Calvin was saying is there are folks that Jesus is teaching the doctrine of who we are to be, and now it is, it is applied to the person who now is required to administer it, to live it. If this is who you are, this is who you're called to live. This is how you're called to live and who you're called to be. Tasteless, useless salt is actually harmful it needs to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Boy, this was a challenge to me. Where am I in regards to my saltiness? I think many times there is there's a tendency in our culture today and in the church to, to lose What is salty about salt? You see, the reason that the salt brings out the best flavor in the meat and the reason that the salt preserves the meat is because it's different. It's chemically different than the meat. And if the salt is the same, it has no effect. You are the salt of the earth. Means you are not just like everybody else as you go out into the earth. You are not like everybody else in response to the gospel in your life as you go out into the earth. If you are, the salt is so much like everything else that it's useless and it's harmful and it might as well be thrown out and trampled underfoot. What a challenge to us, amen? Folks, as you look at the statistics of the church, sometimes we, we look a lot like everybody else. We have as many divorces, as many abortions. Uh, uh, many times we have churches that, that uh, have exchanged the idea that we would worship our God in the way that he's uh, ascribed us to worship him for something that looks as if it's not even the church, right? I was talking to someone yesterday, uh, it was a youth pastor The place that I used to be, well, a place that I know well. And the conversation went something like, there wasn't a lot of kids coming to the youth group anymore because they did too many Bible studies. So I got some smoke machines. Kids love smoke. I kid you not, that is the quote. Smoke machines, kick the music up, light show. Just too many Bible studies. Kids don't like to come to Bible studies. Folks, I I didn't know what to say in response to hearing that. I did. It wasn't going to be fruitful. (laughs) You're the salt of the earth. If you're just like the meat, you're going to have no effect. Different. Being who God's called us to be. Folks, Mike preached last week on, on uh, blessed are you who are persecuted. And we, we enjoy, uh, and Mike went through some incredible statistics that are, should be heart-wrenching. I just saw uh, an article, actually I just referenced it again this morning as I was looking through news articles. of I think it was 10 or 12 Nigerian Christians behead, beheaded. Because it's happening today. Saw the picture of them kneeling down in front of ISIS. As one was shot and the rest were beheaded. Heads cut off because of their faith. I always think back to Matt, Unright, and I. I know I've mentioned this before. Matt and Sarah and I and Jim Murphy and some folks years ago went to New York City to to lead worship at an international pastors conference. And it was before ISIS had moved through It was really before anyone knew who ISIS was. It was the week of Benghazi, you're right. Because uh, one of the pastors from Egypt was getting text messages while we were in the middle of the service. And uh, we worshipped with a bunch of Syrian pastors. And we were singing like, I can't remember the song, but I just remember thinking about the words of the song, Oh my God, he will not delay. My refuge and strength always. We were singing that chorus. I'm playing the drums. Like you play it every day. Oh my God, he will not delay my refuge. And I'm just kind of singing through it. We sang it a hundred times. We practiced it, rehearsed it a thousand times. And I'll never forget, I looked out into the crowd and I saw a group of Syrian pastors singing the words, Oh my God, he will not delay. My refuge and strength always. Like this. Hands up. Tears. Tears just completely enraptured in worship, declaring the words that their God will not delay. Knowing the statistics of the next year after that conference and what happened in Syria to Christians and pastors, I would venture probably none of them are alive today. Burned in cages, beheaded, Killed for their faith. What a remarkable reality we live in. And folks here today, think about our context. It's changing. To be salt and light is going to require us to get out of the salt shaker. And to be in the world, there is something expressed in this passage that requires us to go into the world and be salt and light. And the reality of being salt and the light in the world is going to necessitate the previous verses, being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Being different. It will be easy to be a chameleon. It will be easy to be a Christian who is... uh, who is just like everybody else, and there's really no distinction, you can't tell other than I happen to come sit in a building once a week on a Sunday morning, but in my nine to five, Monday through fi- Friday, no one recognizes any difference. Because if I, if I speak, if I, if I express my faith in a loving way, in the way that, that someone who lives into these characteristics and the Beatitudes would, as they live out the gospel in their lives, folks aren't gonna like it. People aren't going to like it. But we're required to go and be salt and be light. And the impact of that, the impact of of Christians going out like grains of salt in the world is going to have a preserving effect from the decay of our culture. It will have an a, a f- effect of joy and flavor and, and love that doesn't come unless you have the source. Does that make sense? And the effect of it is so huge, and, and it's generationally impacting if Christians are Christians. If Christians behave like Christians, live like Christians, worship like Christians, even in the midst of a culture that opposes and is hostile to them, the effect of that in the world is remarkable. And I think we have to ask ourselves, as the church... Are we salt in our world? In our generation, in 2019, in North Syracuse, Onondaga County, are we representing the church and living like salt in such a way that we are preserving and bringing out the best? The effect of it, the implications of it, for generations are absolutely incredible. In 1974, I'm going to embarrass my mother, 1974, a 50- or 60-year-old woman named Doris lived in Candlewick Apartments. Liverpool? Ballinsville. Ballinsville, Liverpool. She Ballinsville. prayed. Uh, there's a difference, yeah. <laughs> Bevel's, Bevel's a little bit better. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> Maisie was a Liverpool grad. <laughs> it was a Bevo grad, for those of you, Liverpool's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Doris, in 1974, lived in Candlewick Apartments, her and her husband. She began to pray that someone would move into the apartment near her so that she could lead him to Christ. She would sit out, read her Bible every day. And in 1974, 24-year-old woman and her husband and their little 2-year-old boy, who I'm sure was a handful it was my older brother (laughs) moved in and my mom at 24 saw this woman reading her bible every day and was hungry for something in her life she wouldn't talk to her and Doris was all too happy to talk and she led her to Christ at Candlewick Apartments my father thought she was crazy and that it was a phase that would pass And then about, what, a year later, he gave his life to Christ. And then I gave my life to Christ because I grew up in a Christian home where I heard the gospel. And my brother gave his life to Christ. And my brother's three little girls sit at their dinner table every night and go through the word of God and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. My 18-year-old daughter's at Christian University serving Jesus Gave her life to Christ as a young girl. My son Aiden gave his life to Christ. My son Nathan gave his life to Christ. My little girl Gracie hears the gospel every day and hears it in this church because Doris was salt. To think down the line of that and the impact in my life because of a woman I've never met crazy unbelievable you see the hand of god the effect of someone living as salt and light in their community just a woman hanging out in her apartment candle wick folks god's called us to be salt he's called us to have that flavor and to have that preserving effect he then goes on to say you're the light of the world a city on a hill, it can't be hidden. You see it in the midst of darkness. Has anyone ever been in a place where uh it's really dark? You know what I'm saying? I used to take my youth groups on missions trips to the Dominican Republic, and we'd go on a mountain outside of this uh, barrio called La Vega, and we would hike to the top of this mountain where a bunch of villagers lived. They were pig farmers, they grew coffee, best coffee in the world. You would get up there, you'd see the coffee like laying out on the side on this like cement thing drying picking the cherries right there like it was incredible <clears throat> but I'll never forget that my wife would be in the she was in this little barn area with the girls the dudes were all sleeping outside there's some funny stories in regards to that there was definitely a pig near the girls at some point I came in the next morning they were all huddled around each other as if they were sleeping uh, it was very funny Uh, (laughs) They heard some noises But what was remarkable for me It was just something that stood out to me Is in an area with no electricity When it gets dark It's dark Anybody ever seen that before? Like it is pitch black And if you've ever like driven I drove across the country a few times and, And when you're driving through a desolate area That's pitch black And you can see for miles That city down down the way on a hill, it lights up in the most remarkable way. It can't be hidden. A city on a hill, it can't be hidden, Jesus said. You're the light of the world. You're like a light that penetrates through the darkness and causes the ability to see in the midst of of a place where you can't see right in front of your face. And if you're that light, does it make any sense That you would be hidden. Because a city on a hill can't be hidden. In fact, if you light a lamp in your house when it's pitch black, would you ever put it under a basket? Of course not. What would you do when you lit a light in your your house? You put it up on a lampstand so it lights the whole house so that people can see. So that they can see, folks, you're the light of the world. And as you live your life in the midst of darkness... It has the ability, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, to turn the lights on for other people to see. Amen? Amen. Those, Those of us who have responded to the gospel, why would we hide the reality of who God is, who we are, how we relate to him, how we're supposed to live with one another because of the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ? You need to live in such a way that people get to see. Amen? So often, We find it easier to hide under a basket. Not let anybody see it. You don't have to agree with people to love them. Can I say that? You don't have to agree with people to love them. We live in a culture today that says if you disagree with somebody, you must be their enemy. You must hate them. Never forget Kathy. What's his name? The Chick-fil-A guy. Someone, he's asked a direct question. A direct question. He was asked. He, he wasn't holding up a sign. He wasn't protesting anything. He happens to own a company that creates the most addictive, remarkable chicken in the history of the planet. <clears throat> That's all he does. And he was asked a direct question about what he does with his personal finances and what he feels about a particular issue, and he answered the direct question directly, and they tried to burn his business down. Not literally. (laughs) Tried to end his business. Folks, this is the culture we live in today. And you know what? As Christians, I may I have a lot of folks that in relation to what the gospel says about how we're to live, I disagree with things that I do in my own life, in my own sin, my own greed, and my own lusts, and my own difficulty. I disagree with with particular lifestyles in regards to sin and and holiness and God's best uh Life for those for for human flourishing in regards to the way he's called us to live, but that doesn't change my love for people, my love for my neighbor. If I live next to someone who lived a lifestyle that, that's different than, than what, what God has called us to live, uh, I'm not going to change what I believe in relationship to, to the way God has, has spoken to us and what he's called us to do, but I will mow your lawn, serve you, love you, invite you over, have a meal with you, share the gospel, share life. God's called us to love, and He's called us also to be salt and to light, and to be light and to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And, folks, as you proclaim the truth of the gospel in love, some people aren't going to like it. But He's called us to be salt. He's called us to be light. We're not meant to retract from the world, we're meant to engage it with joy, to bring life. We're not, you know, you're the salt of the earth. We're not meant to be those who are downers, who are, who are just stodgy, uh, Debbie Downer all the time. Like, God's called us to bring life and to bring joy and to bring flavor. So listen, there's, there's not this idea of Christianity that is, that is, that is stodgy and, and difficult and, and, and prickly. Uh, I was preaching at a church Uh, last year, and this older couple who I knew from when I was a kid went to the church I grew up in, and uh, I I saw them in the lobby before, and I'm like, I kind of recognize them. I think they went to the church, and then I I preached at this particular church, and I got done, and I just remember them being kind of, you know, stodgy a little bit, you know, just just those folks. I think I just probably remembered scowls as a child, you know running around the lobby, probably being a knucklehead. And uh, so anyway, I get done preaching. We go into the lobby, and I'm talking to the pastor and one of the elders, and they came up, and they're like, hey, do you remember us? So I'm like, yeah, how you doing? And the wife looked at me, and she's like, you were an awful child. <laughs> <laughs> and the first thought I had in my response was, you, you must be thinking of my brother. like <clears throat> We look a lot alike. She was like, "How is it that you you ended up like preaching, pre- preaching the gospel? Like, how is it, how did that happen? You know, just awful. Like, how do you respond to that? <laughs> how do you respond to that?" <clears throat> I wasn't. I was. I know. I wasn't an awful child. God hasn't called us to be just grumpy, stodgy old folks that just don't like anything. Salt, life, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, folks that are meek, folks that are pursuing righteousness, folks that are that are humble because they understand their own sin and are mourning their own sin. So it it produces a humility and a gratefulness for the gospel and for forgiveness and for the righteousness of Christ that wasn't their own. That should produce in the life of somebody a a way of living that is, is, is brought in humility and in love and brings life. Does that make sense? You're the salt of the earth. in 2018 September 6, 2018. There's so many examples of this, but I'm going to close with this one. Dallas off-duty police officer Amber Geiger went to her apartment at night after a conversation with a boyfriend. And she went to the wrong floor. The door was cracked. She thought it was her apartment, she said. She opened it up and there was an African-American man sitting on a couch. Bossum Jean. She pulled out her gun. She shot him. And she killed him. And race wars and culture wars in media exploded. I don't know if you remember this. White police officer shoots black man in his own apartment. She says she thought it was hers. It was actually on a, the same apartment on the wrong floor. And I didn't research the case that much. I'm sure there was a million mistakes she made. She was indicted, she was arrested for manslaughter, she was indicted for murder, and she was convicted. And I watched the sentencing. It was all over Facebook. And every talking head in the country had something to say about this case. Had something to say about race. Whether or not it was some unspoken bias she might have had because he was a black man that caused her to jump to the conclusion and shoot. um, What was going on inside of her head, inside of her cultural context, inside of whatever was happening with her that day. Um, I don't know. I don't think anybody really knows But this accountant, who was sitting on his couch at home, gets shot and killed. And the family, devastated, calling for maximum sentence, maximum penalty, not a manslaughter, we want a murder. Uh, You know, of course, the folks out there, Rent-A-Riot folks were out there just stirring everyone up, getting everybody going and wanting her head, rightfully so or not. I'm not commenting on that, I don't know. Here's what I know. Botham's brother got on the stand to give a statement before the sentencing. He's a Christian. And he said, I love you, to this police officer. After the rest of his family had called for her head, he said, I love you, and I want the best for you. And the best for you would be for you to give your life to Christ. He said, I don't even know if I want you to go to jail. I just want you to give your life to Christ. And then he looked at the judge and he said, can I give her a hug? And the judge, I don't think knew what to do. I've been in that context as a prosecutor for 12 years. I'm not sure what I would do. I've been in a lot of heart, heart-wrenching sentencings. And then he said, The judge didn't respond, and then he looked up and he said, Please, please, can I give her a hug? And the judge said, Yeah. And he got up, and he embraced this woman. And the country was like, as you saw the responses to this? What? Why? Why? How does one respond like this? How does one respond to that kind of tragedy in this particular way? He follows somebody who gave up his life for him. You see, he, he follows somebody who gave up everything to come live the life that he couldn't live. He follows someone who, in, in, as a Christian, this brother recognized, I'm a sinner who deserves separation and punishment from God. But the God of the universe left everything and he became a man. And he lived the righteous life that I was unable to live in my own sin. And then he became my substitute. And he took upon himself my punishment for sin in my place. And he died and he sacrificed himself, and he gave himself up. And unlike any other religion, I don't get to know God and see God and be with God if I do this, 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 and this, and live a better life and become a better person and earn it. That's not how I get to see God. I get to be with God and live in heaven, not because of anything I've done, but because the God of the universe became a man and gave up his life and became my substitute and died for me so that I receive a free gift of salvation. And in turn, there's only one way to live there's only one response to that kind of grace I'm absolutely grateful and I must forgive and love others amen a whole bunch of people living like that becomes salt in the world amen you're the salt of the world If you lose your saltiness, you're worthless. You might as well be thrown under people's feet. But if you're salty, you'll bring out the best and you'll preserve from decay. You're the light of the world, just like a city shining on a hill in the midst of darkness, just like a light that's lit would never hide under a basket would be put up on a lampstand so that it lights up the whole house. Christians who are poor in spirit, who recognize their need for Christ's righteousness, Christians who mourn their own sin, but they hunger and thirst after righteousness so that their life would change, Christians who are meek, and strong but have their strength under control and are loving, who are peacemakers, who are merciful in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you Christians, your salt and your light don't hide. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are and what that makes us to be because of Jesus. Help us to be salt and light. Help us to be in the world and to have that kind of effect only through your spirit, only through your grace. We trust you. And our prayer this morning is that we wouldn't hide. Our prayer this morning is that you would use us. You would use us to bring out the best. You would use us to preserve. You would use us to turn the lights on. So that people would see you clearly. Respond to the gospel. That lives would change. By your grace, in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.